Hello, and welcome to this episode of Little Bits of Stuff, a podcast that showcases different health-related topics for medical professionals and non-medical audiences. This show is brought to you by Nick Ate, a surgical resident at University College Hospital, Ibadan, Nigeria. And here's your host, Nick. Hi, guys. This is the very first episode of the resident content on the Little Bits of Stuff podcast show, and I'm really ex- excited about this. With me here today, I have two important guests with me to dissect the topic of the day, which is the thyroid review, by the way, and at the end, give us some pearls and salient points to know for part one exams. Our guest as the examiner today is Dr. Chico, is the chief resident surgery department, University College Hospital, Ibadan. Hi, Dr. Chico. Hi guys. Uh yeah, and at the end of uh, the receiving end today is Dr. Udonsak, uh Dr. Naomi. Uh she's a surgical resident in the uh, surgical department uh, University College Hospital, Ibadan. Hi Naomi. Hi guys. Yeah, so uh without wasting time, let's uh let's dive right in. Dr. Chico, you have the floor. All right guys. Um today we're discussing thyroid gland everything we need to know about it, or at least the things we need to know to be able to pass the exams and some salient points. Naomi, don't worry, we're going to be as soft as possible on Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> so we're not going to kill you today, but uh, we're at least going to be able to do some percussion. Yeah. All right, so we start with a little bit of... Um, Embryology, a few things on the embryology of the thyroid gland. Um, what is the weight of the normal thyroid gland? Uh, the normal thyroid gland is about 30 grams in weight. Okay, that's, that's fair enough. But if I were you, I would um, make it a range. I would say most books will say 7 to 25 grams. But uh, 30 grams is still fine. But when you when you ask a question like that, most times it's a range. You better give a range so that you you cover whatever the examiner believes in <laughs> as the weight of the direct rather than just give one particular value. Right, Thank so you, sir. Fine. Yeah, that's fine. But can you take us through the blood supply of the thyroid gland? So the blood supply to the thyroid gland is mostly by the inferior thyroid artery and the superior thyroid artery. The superior thyroid artery is a branch of the external carotid artery. It's actually the first um, branch of the external carotid artery. And while the inferior thyroid gland is a branch of the thyrocervical artery, which is a branch of the subclavian artery, um, the second part of the subclavian artery. There's also in some people a thyroidia imma artery, which um, sometimes comes directly from the aorta. So those are the arteries that supply the thyroid gland. Um, yeah, you talked about the thyroidia ema artery. You said in some people, what percentage of people do have it? Uh, I don't have that number. It's present in about 3% of people. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Okay. What about the structure of the thyroid gland? The lobes? The, how does it look like? So the thyroid gland has two lobes um, connected by the isthmus. Um, what are these lobes called? The right and the left lobe of the thyroid gland. 
don't know. We have either called the lateral loops. Lateral loops. So you have the lateral two lateral loops, and then you have the east mouth that connects them. Is that all about the about the loop? Um. So the isthmus lies in the midline. No, I'm asking about aberration. Oh, some people can have a pyramidal lobe. Yeah. Again, what percentage of people <laughs> do have pyramidal I'm going to guess 50%, but I'm not sure. Yes, you're correct. Okay. It's about Thank 50% you. of people do have pyramidal lobe. All right. Um, what is the sentinel lymph node of the thyroid gland called? Nodes of Delphi. Correct. Yeah. Delphian nodes Delphian or the prelaryngeal nodes. Um, you have information about how it got that name? No, sir. No, I don't. Okay, it's from some Greek mythology about a Greek god called the god of Delphos. Um, so the god of Delphos was known as a god that um, didn't quite say what um, made sense. It was said that the god was talking gibberish. So it is believed that the sentinel lymph node of the thyroid gland really doesn't quite drain anything um, meaningful about the gland. So that's why it got that name. So because it's not really doing something that is meaningful to the gland, most of the drainage goes to the cervical lymph nodes. So, but despite that, it is still the first lymph node that drains the thyroid gland. So that's how it got the name. Got Thank you, sir. That's very interesting. Okay, um, do you know of any lymph node differential of the thyroid gland? So I didn't get that. Do you know of any differential of the thyroid enlargement? As you have a goiter and then you are asked the differentials. Do you know of any that is actually either a lymph node or a lipoma or something um are you referring to a lateral aberrant thyroid no i'm not um, no I, I i'm not sure i don't know okay um one of the differentials when you ask thyroid if there's a you have a goiter in front of you and you're asked about the differentials one of the differentials you should mention is either a lipoma in the space of bone I'm referring to the space of bone you know where the space of bone is? No, sir. The space of bone is that space just above the supra-sternal notch. That's your sternal notch, that space just above it there. So you okay. have a lipoma there. If you have a lipoma there. It is, it can be, it can be confused with the thyroid gland. So one of the differentials you should give when you're asked differentials of the thyroid enlargement is a lipoma in the space of bones. Right. Thank you. That's interesting. You okay, know. now that you've mentioned lateral aberrant thyroid, what is it? What is lateral aberrant thyroid? It's actually a misnomer. It used to be in the past, it was thought to be a lymph. Um, it, it's thought to re represent an extra thyroid tissue, um, but now it's known that it's meta a metastatic um, lymph node from patients who have papillary thyroid carcinoma. So Great. really, it's metastasis from papillary thyroid CA. Great, You're correct. The lateral aberrant thyroid is actually lymphatic or metastasis to a lateral a lymph node, cervical lymph node from a parapapillary thyroid carcinoma. 
Okay, let's go to a little bit of um, the operative. Um, what is the rationale behind ligating the superior thyroid artery close to the gland and um, the inferior thyroid away from the gland? Um, so the it has to do with the relations to the um, recurrent laryngeal nerves. So the inferior thyroid artery is closely related to the recurrent laryngeal nerve, the, and then the superior thyroid artery to the external branch of the superior laryngeal nerve, which innervates the cricothyroid, um, and then the recurrent laryngeal nerve innervates the rest of the laryngeal uh, muscles, except the cricothyroid. Um, and so ligating the superior thyroid actually close to the thyroid and then the inferior one away is to reduce um, inadvertent injury to those nerves. You're correct. That is the rationale. But um, I'm sure you know that um, in modern times, that is gradually being debunked with um, the teaching that you actually, especially in the inferior thyroid, um, arteries, you actually like it, the vessels in the inferior pole individually. So that's the most recent teaching now. You take each vessel in the inferior pole individually. So you try to dissect them and then ligate them individually. Rather than doing the bulk ligation and ligating away from the gland and then the superior pole, you ligate close to the gland. That used to be the teaching. It is still correct to say that because some of the examiners will come with that. Um, in fact, most of the examiners will have that notion. But uh, the most recent teaching in terms of the, of thyroid surgery is that uh, you ligate each vessel individually. All right. Thank you. Okay. Um, what do you understand by ligating in continuity? Um, ligating in continuity. So if we're ligating a vessel, it's um, it's ligating both, ligating, say, proximal and distal before dividing the vessel. <laughs> okay, so I'm not sure. <laughs> well... Ligating like continuity is one um, is one uh, aspect that is a bit controversial, but some people believe what it actually means is you just ligate the vessel at two spots without dividing. Some believe in what you just explained, ligating like two places, and then you divide rather than dividing first before ligating. Like you get what you explained is ligating before dividing yes. rather than dividing before ligating. Some yes. others just say you just ligate two places and then you don't divide. But the reason behind it is that okay, you are ligating, but you are still allowing some little occasional blood flow through those vessels because once you divide, you've divided. Mm-hmm. That is why they say that it's used to ligate, especially the inferior thyroid vessels. Parathyroid artery, which supplies the parathyroid glands. You don't want to devascularize the parathyroid glands. So it is said that you ligate in continuity. So that's where the controversy comes. Is it that you just ligate the vessels that supply the parathyroid glands without dividing so that at least some blood flow still, blood flow still goes to them? Or is it that you ligate first and divide? So 
there's still a controversy about it, but I think the, the one most people believe in is like getting without dividing. Right? Okay, so what is capsular dissection while you're doing a thyroid gland? While you're doing a thyroid sorry, thyroidectomy? Um blind spot. <laughs> I'm not sure. Okay, so that's the newest teaching in terms of um dissection during thyroidectomies. Your di- all your dissection is very close to the gland. So capsula, like you're just going just beneath the capsule. So you just insert your instrument beneath the capsule and just you're resting the instrument on the gland. And in that way, it reduces the amount of bleeding you have. So it was proposed by a man called Delbridge. Some people call it Delbridge dissection, but uh, the the more accepted official name is capsular dissection. Thank you, sir. All right. Um, the antithyroid drugs that you know, um, do you know the the ones that are safe in certain um, trimesters of pregnancy? So the antithyroid drugs, um, there's methimazole, cabrimazole, okay. and propylthyroxine. And I always mix which one is safe in pregnancy, but um, I think propylthyroxine is the one that is safe in pregnancy. <laughs> or maybe it's the reverse. I always mix no, it up. I'm not are, sure. They all can be used in pregnancy, but it depends on the trimester. Proper thyroid is the safest for the first trimester of pregnancy. Okay. Because methimazole and cabimazole, the teratogenicity um, of them is in first trimester is quite high. Okay. So those those ones are better used in the second and that's trimester. Methimazole and carimazole. But propylthyroxine is used in the first trimester of pregnancy. If you are to do a thyroidectomy in a pregnant lady, what trimester would you want to do? Um, I will go with second trimester. Correct. So that is the trimester that is safest to do a thyroidectomy. Part of the reason is that at that time, the, the fetal thyroid gland is already starting to develop and starting to work for the fetus. Because in the first 10 weeks of gestation, the fetus depends entirely, entirely on the mother's um, thyroid gland and thyroid hormones. So, but from that 10th week and up, the thyroid gland of the fetus starts developing more and starts functioning. So at that time, if you are going to be taking away the thyroid gland of the mother, um, the baby is not, or the fetus is not likely to suffer so much from hypothyroidism because at that time, its own um, thyroid gland is beginning to function and help sustain the baby. So second trimester is the best time to to do a thyroid coming in a pregnant baby. Okay, thank you, sir. While you're doing a thyroidectomy and you find out you devascularize or you excise the parathyroid gland, what's the management? How do you go about it? So um, one option is to one option is to transplant the um, thyro- the parathyroids um, to How do the, you transplant? Um, to bury in the pocket in the stenocleidomyceloid. Are you burying them whole? No, in portions, morcellated. Or in, yes, yes. In, so you're going to chop, 
So you're going to chop them off into, usually say it one millimeter or two millimeter pieces. And then you transplant them in a pocket in the standard color master it also. All right. Yes, sir. So, and they start functioning within days to weeks. It starts functioning. So, um, the, but they are, of course, they are not likely. They're not likely to function as well as the, the normal parathyroid glands, but they will be able to sustain the patient, especially if the patient still has up to two parathyroid glands still left intact. Mm, yes, sir. Yes. So that is the management. And then most times it is said that when you transplant, you in order to be able to identify them in future, in case you need to look out for them, should be able to find out where you put them and the way to or even if it's another surgeon that is operating on the patient or that is um, working on the patient that needs to find where those parathyroid glands that you transplanted are you'll be able to it will be easy so the way to do that is to put some clips metallic clips around the place you transplanted them to say you could use titanium clips so just to mark like marker Mm -hmm. for future identification okay all right um when you have a huge thyroid gland that is likely to stretch the strap muscles and you would need to divide the strap muscles um, how do you do that how do you do that division so the strap muscles are supplied by the ansa cervicalis um, from c1 c2 c3 of cervical plexus and they usually enter the gland from the distal part um, so Enter if the muscles. The muscle, I'm sorry, from the distal part. So if you're going to, if you need to divide the strap muscles, you'd want to divide it proximally um, so that you don't um, divide the nerve supply. Correct. Okay. What is the arrangement of the strap muscles? So the, the four strap muscles, there's the stenothyroid, the stenohyoid, stenothyroid, thyrohyoid, and the ha ah, forgotten the last one. Wait, one minute. Um sternothyroid, sternohyoid, thyrohyoid, and for whatever reason the last one has keeps my mind. Um okay, so th- this is very hazy. I-, I need to check it up again. Uh, the, the the first you meet is the homohyoid. Omohyoid. So you didn't mention omohyoid. If you're going from, so you have to go in a particular order, either from outside to inside, from inside to outside. But if you're going from outside to inside, the omohyoid is the one you need first. And it's also the most lateral. It's the most lateral as well as the one that is most superficial. Right? So when you're done with the omohyoid, the next you meet will be the stenohyoid. Stenohyoid muscle, yes. The stenohyoid muscle, the next deepest is the stenothyroid muscle. So those are the three strap muscles. The other you mentioned is not part of the strap muscles per se. It's the homohyoid, stenohyoid, and stenothyroid from outside to inside. Okay, thank you, sir. Yes. Okay. Um, what are the common places? Of injury to the recurrent laryngeal and thyroidectomy. 
Um, was on a space tester where you can enjoy it. The current laryngeal now. Common space. Um, let me see. Not sure. Okay. No, I'm not sure. It is well. It is actually when you are almost excising the gland, the last bit of the section you do and before excising the gland that is around the various ligament. Yes, sir. So that is where you injure the nerve the most when you're coming out. But other places you could enjoy it is uh, when you're trying to ligate the inferior thyroid vessels or inferior pole thyroid gland. Right? That is one of the commonest places of injuring it. You could injure the current laryngeal nerve at that spot, especially if you don't dissect the vessels individually as the current teaching is, or if you don't ligate away from the gland as the old teaching says. The other place is around the tracheosophageal groove. If you're dissecting around the tracheosophageal groove, you could also injure the after. But the commonest place is around the various ligament when the gland is almost coming out. Right? Thank you, sir. Okay. Um, the thyroid cancers that you know, can you take us through their mode of spread? Or their modes of spread. So thyroid cancers, there's papillary thyroid cancer, follicular thyroid cancer, um, anaplastic thyroid cancer, the lymphomas. Um, some people classify herthal cell carcinomas as part of follicular cell carcinomas, follicular thyroid carcinomas, and some okay. people think that it's a separate entity on its own. Yeah. So papillary thyroid cancers spread is lymph yeah lymphatics. Um, follicular thyroid cancer is via hematogenous spread, so it can go to the lungs, it can go to the bone, it can go to the skull. Um, anaplastic, I think, is largely local, locally invasive, um, but it's, it's really malignant, very aggressive, um, but I think it's locally invasive. Okay. Um, and then Herthel cell is similar to follicular cell, follicular thyroid carcinoma, so hematogenous spread, but it's thought, it's thought to have a more um, malignant, more aggressive um, course uh, than follicular thyroid carcinoma yeah you're correct you're correct um papillary goes to the lymph nodes mostly mind you that all of those cancers can spread in all the various ways you just mentioned but there are particular ways that each spreads uh, that is peculiar to each papillary thyroid cancers go to go through lymphatics the follicular and hothal cells go through hematogenous spread. And the while the uh, anaplastic or the undifferentiated, they go through uh, direct invasion, so local spread. But um, it doesn't mean that on rare occasions you won't see these other ones metastasize through those other routes. All right? Yes, sir. Okay. Um, so that means that you have a patient with a thyroid mass and you have a skull mass. What will be going on through your mind? So I will think um, of a follicular thyroid carcinoma with skull metastasis. Skull metastasis, yes, correct. Okay, um, what is the um, pathognomonic histology or pathological pathologic finding? In hotel cell carcinoma. <laughs> um, 
Cell. Not sure. Cell. I don't know. I don't know that one. It's called the Ashkenazi. Cells of Ashkenazi. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Interesting. Ashkenazi cells. What about popular thyroid carcinoma? So popular thyroid carcinomas have um, um particular cytology, so they can actually be diagnosed with final aspiration cytology. Um, they have often any eyes, um, okay. and then some other bodies, which are the inclusion bodies that are calcified. Okay. Um, they also have nuclear grooving, um, and um, okay, stop there. The orphan eye cells, you know how those cells look and how they got the name of an eye. Well, I think they got the name from maybe a doll that has big eyes, but but um, the 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 they have <laughs> it's clear sides of doll. it's not a doll per se, it's okay. um, a cartoon character. Okay, cartoon. I think it's one of the old, olden days British cartoons. The 1940s, 1930s, 40s, 50s cartoons. So there's this character called the orphan, orphan Anne, Annie, orphan Annie. So her eyes looked quite big with just a small dot in the center. So you see those cells appear vacuolated kind of. So much cytoplasm, so much extra vagant cytoplasm with just just very tiny nucleus. So that's how they got the name of an Annie is from a British cartoon. The cartoon character. Okay. Um, um I'm thinking of what else to ask you. The thyroid gland. Okay, let me just add that for follicular cell, it's different in that you can't make a diagnosis usually with cytology because um, vascular and capsular invasion has to be demonstrated. So usually you need histology. Yes, that's correct. With cytology, you may not be able to distinguish between a follicular adenoma and a follicular carcinoma because you are not going to be able to discern lymphovascular invasion and capsular invasion. Okay. Uh, um. What? Which of the signs of Graves' disease does not respond to antithyroid drugs? I think the eye signs, the eye signs don't respond, don't improve with Which of the eye signs that does not improve? The protrusion. Yes, the exophthalmos. Exophthalmos, thank you. That is the only, that is the only sign or only symptom of Graves' disease that does not improve with antithyroid drugs. And do you know why? Um, okay, let me hazard a guess. I think it's because, um, it's based on it's because of an inflammatory response and no never mind i don't know why <laughs> i think <take that> back <laughs> well how it comes about is the position of um glycosaminoglycans mucin like substances behind the behind the globe or behind the eyes that causes the protrusion so your antithyroid drugs are not going to work um, with um, exophthalmos, they are not going to work. Anything, but most times it's either a surgical method. You go just to reduce the sight okay. of it. Otherwise, most times 
they may resolve, but it may take a very long time or you eventually have to go to the surgical route, do some tassography and all of that to just make the patients look better to people. Otherwise, that's the sign that no matter the amount of antiviral drugs you give. But the other things like pretibia mesodema, all the other tremors and the rest of them are uh, likely to improve with them. Uh, Thyroid medications. Okay. Um, um. I'm trying to think of something else to ask you. Um. Okay. Okay, what are the indications for thyroidectomy? Indications for thyroidectomy. Um, patients with malignant thyroids would need thyroidectomy. Patients with Graves' disease who have failed uh, medical or radioiodine therapy would benefit from surgery, that's thyroidectomy. Um, as well as patients who, who have benign goiters um, and who have cosmetic concerns and who... So for cosmetics, it's another reason um, to do a thyroidectomy. Um, so that's what I have. <laughs> <laughs> if I were you, the answer to that question would be the in in the would be the types of goiter. Okay. So okay, so maybe you just go through types. Of, what are the types of goiter that you know? Okay, so they could be benign or malignant. Um, and then they could be, um, depending on whether their um, patients are toxic or not, so they could be hyperthyroid, hypothyroid, euthyroid, or toxic or non-toxic goiters, really. Um, no. The way we normally group goiters, simple goiter, toxic goiters, inflammatory goiters, and malignant goiters. So, if you ask indications of thyroidectomy, you have to exhaust all of these. Simple goiter, toxic goiter, inflammatory goiter, and malignant goiter. So, you exhaust all of that before you can start talking about cosmesis. <laughs> yes, sir. So, that gives you more points in the exam. Right? Okay, can you grade goiters for us? So WHO grading. WHO grading of goiters. Um, <laughs> grade one. I think it's from grade one to grade three. Okay. Grade one is a goiter that is um, is palpable but not visible. Grade two okay. is a goiter that is. Um, You're not done with one. I agree with you. Grade one is palpable goiter. It's not easily visible. But you're not done. It has subgroups. Right? It has, has sub- one and one B, but I don't recall the details of the subgroups <laughs> <laughs> at this time. <laughs> All right. So, just like you said, grade one is palpable goiter, but um, one has one A and one B. One A is just straightforward, just palpable. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. But it's not visible. Grade one B is palpable, 
but somehow could still be visible when you extend the neck when the patient extends the neck let me put it that way so it is still grouped under palpable but since the head the neck is not in the normal position so you have to extend before whoever is before it becomes visible otherwise they have not the both one a and one b are not visible with the neck in the normal position right so what is grade two? The grade two is um, a goiter that's visible with the, with the neck in normal position. Great. And then grade three is visible from a distance. Correct. So that's how we grade it. Um, okay. Um, okay. Exam tips. Um... You would need to know how to examine the thyroid gland because it is one uh, one aspect of the exams, especially the OSCE exams that you are almost 90% sure of meeting the exam. So you must know how to examine the thyroid gland and examine it fast, like fast so. within three minutes. If you are going for the national exams, you'll, you'll be given just three minutes to examine the thyroid gland and do perform all the shenanigans involved. So you need to know how to examine it and move fast with it. Because the usual way is to concentrate on the gland first. When you finish everything about the gland, before you now go to things outside the gland, like all the lymph nodes, all the toxic signs and the rest of them so the gland first and every and the the examination involves the usual inspection preparation uh, percussion and auscultation but in thyroid gland even if you don't follow that method there are some parts of the examination that may not follow that method of inspection preparation percussion and auscultation so you may still jump through some 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 steps and still be correct in the thyroid gland is one of the glands or one of the organs that the examination may not quite be strictly followed with the IPPA uh, methods. Okay, um, the other thing to know about the thyroid gland is you need to know about thyroidectomies from beginning till the end. Okay, let me ask you a question about thyroidectomy. Why do we place the patients, or rather, what's the position of doing a thyroidectomy? Patients is placed supine um, and then sandbags between, and the neck is extended. Um, so we use head wings to support the head and then um, usually sandbags between the shoulder blades just to make sure that the neck is well extended. I think that's to improve access to the gland. <laughs> well, it is not supine. You don't place the patient supine. You place them in 15 degrees reverse trendelenburg. Thank you, sir. All right. 15 degrees reverse trendelenburg is because you want to empty the neck veins. It's one of the maneuvers to reduce bleeding. So you don't want the neck veins to be engorged while you are walking, which leads to bleeding. So by then you place the patient in 15 degrees reverse trendelenburg. You 
at this encourage emptying of the of the neck veins and then you can walk but then the head or rather the occiput is supported so the neck is extended to improve access to the gland or so just to bring out the gland or make it more prominent and the occiput is supported on a head ring but that's not all about the positioning the arms are tucked by the sides of the patient yes sir in order not to disturb the surgeons while they are working on the neck so that's the thing. So you need to know about the position and the reasons behind all the maneuvers, the position, the rest of them all. Um, when you're done removing the gland and you've secured hemostasis, what do you do before you start closing the strap muscles? I'm not sure. You secured okay. hemostasis. You secured hemostasis. Um, I'm not sure. Ideally, that is the time to remove the head ring. I see. Thank you. All right. You remove the head ring. That's the ideal thing to do before you start closing. And then you, you also do some slight indirect laryngoscopy to look at the vocal cords and be sure you've not injured any of the recurring laryngeal nerves. You must start this time to you as the anesthetist to ensure that the cords are moving and your your surgery has not injured any of the um, important nerves. And then you remove the, the head ring just to allow relaxation of the neck and make the closure easier for you. You go ahead and close the wound. Okay? Yes, sir. All right. Um, I'm sure we should be able to, maybe another time, we'll be able to do something still on thyroid gland. Maybe we'll be more prepared and give us more. <laughs> I am looking forward to it. Yes, we I'm should do. Prepared. We should do thyroid gland um, another time. Maybe some time later after we've done some other things, that we'll add some more, more stuff, more information to it. Oh, thank you so much, sir. Thank you, Dr. Chico, for honoring this invitation to this show. And it has been a delight having you here. I have learned a lot. And we look forward to you coming back for some more stuff another time. So thank you guys for listening. If you have enjoyed this or you would like to be percussed on the show, kindly let us know so we can reach out to you. So it's a wrap today. Till the next episode. See you. All right. Bye. Bye. <laughs> and that's it on Little Bits of Stuff for today. Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Google Podcast. You can also get it on Audio Mac and YouTube. Follow us on Twitter at Lil Bits of Stuff. That's L-I-L-B-I-T-S-O-F-S-T-U-F-F. And on Instagram at Little Bits of Stuff. That's L-I-T-T-L-E Bits of Stuff. Until next time, stay healthy.